Welcome to this week's episode of The Last Refuge. I'm your friendly neighborhood dungeon master, DM Jazzy Hands, and with me I have... Liz Dara, Kid, Bria, and Flick. This week and next week, we have some very special character episodes prepared for you. Uh, if you ha- if you haven't listened to the season one finale, spoiler alert coming up, skip ahead a bit. If you don't want to hear the spoiler, I'll wait. Okay, they're gone. Uh... <laughs> Once, so once Flick regained his memories through the power of the Shimmer Scale Key, he was also able to restore the memories of his Azamar companions. So, each week, for the next two weeks, two of our players are going to get the chance to explore these returned memories in whatever format they choose, tell us a little bit about their life before arriving in the Last Refuge, and we'll finally get some answers about who sent them here and why. So this week, uh, the character Minisodes, uh, as we're calling them, are going to tell us a little bit more about Flick and Briathos. And Flick, you're up first. So you ready to get started? I'm, I've never been ready, more ready for anything in my entire I've, life. I've never been ready I've for never anything been ready in my entire life. anything <laughs> ever at all. <laughs> I'm familiar with that sentiment. I'm only one cup of coffee in. Please forgive me. So for my Minisode listeners at home, I have decided to go with a straight up traditional session we're doing a little a little solo adventure for uh for our tiefling friend so the first thing uh and we're going way back here and you flick are very young and it's how very... young is he is he he's <laughs> like like baby young great for this little scenelet so you're very very young it's very very cold and there's this great, horrible, booming voice that says something that you don't understand because you're a baby and don't know how to talk yet. <laughs> um, and Thank then you sort of, discerning. you're welcome, you're welcome. Uh, and then he sort of chuckles and you in terror just begin to cry. And that's sort of the first, like, flash that you get from the Shimmer Scale when the memories start coming back. And then they start coming back faster and more detailed. So you're a little older now. Mm-hmm. And there you're in the middle of a big open space in this uh, blue and white ice-covered frigid landscape. And in this open space... There are three other tieflings that you know to be your siblings, two older sisters and your younger brother. Okay. Your yo- the younger of your two sisters is currently paired up uh, with your brother for sparring, and she is trouncing him. She's beating the shit out of him. Sure. Okay. Um, she is a master uh, mistress of mistress. <laughs> mistress, mistress of weapons. <laughs> That's it. Um, any weapon that she picks up and she like, she keeps switching between, like she's got this great big pile of weapons, like a weapons rack next to her. And she just keeps switching between weapons. Great. Um, and like each one becomes an extension of her body. And with each one, she finds new ways of inflicting pain upon your little brother, um, who clearly is sort of her exact opposite and like barely knows which way which end of the sword to hold. Perfect. We've got the athletic he's, one and the dorky one. I love it. Yeah, he's not he's not doing well. So I'm at this point probably twelve, maybe. And then Yeah, I think that's about younger, right. So maybe like ten 
And then she's probably like 14. Yeah, because your oldest sister is 18. Okay. Uh, and she's the one that you've been paired up with for the day. Oh, great. Perfect. So you sort of watch your other two siblings spar for a minute, and then the the ice devil that is there uh, with the two of you, with you and your older sister, sort of yells at you and gets your attention. And you turn to look at uh, your oldest sister, and she is tall and beautiful and, and very much unlike you, because she, unlike you, bears... Uh, very few obvious signs of her infernal heritage. Oh, okay. She doesn't. She doesn't have a tail. She doesn't have horns. Um, she has pretty pale skin that, in the right light, does sort of have like that tinge of color like yours does, but mm-hmm. it's nothing like yours. Um, she's got long jet black hair. The the most obvious things that mark her as a tiefling are her brilliant violet eyes. Okay, and then she has a a tattoo in the center of her forehead of your father's sigil, and she is sort of looking at you with arms crossed. Uh, sort of smirking at how distracted you were. You got something to say? <laughs> and she she sort of lifts her eyebrows a little, and she says, Oh, little brother, words will not be necessary. Uh, do I have a weapon in my hand at this point? You do. So you, you know that you're about to, like, you're here to train and to spar with your sister. So whatever you have with you for that. Do you have your mace on you? Your mace yeah, on you. I was you probably say, both on probably you. Mace and your mace. javelin, probably yeah. both on you. That's fine. Okay. So you've got your mace on you, and uh, the ice devil uh, sort of yells at the two of you that that's enough talking, and uh, commence. And so we should roll initiative. We should roll initiative. (laughs) And I crit fail, y'all, on the first roll of the day. So We are off to a good start. Just in case you were wondering. She's going to (laughs) go. So she's going to go first. So she uh, immediately sort of, uh, she reaches in, she reaches one hand into her pouch and one hand behind her back, uh, and she pulls out two objects. In one hand, she has a uh, small crystal orb that has this sort of black and purple energy swirling inside of it. Great, cool. And in her other hand, from behind her back, she reaches and she pulls out uh, a mace, not not unlike yours. Like, they're all training weapons, so it's not that, it's not like super fancy, mm-hmm. whatever. And so she begins to chant, and you can see the orb that she's holding, the the black and purple inside of it begin to swirl faster and faster. And she chants, and it pulses with light. And out from your sister sort of explode three more of her. So now there are four images of your sister all sort of standing there, each holding an orb and a mace, and each sort of grinning. And uh, the ice devil off to the side uh, sort of gets ready to say something. And then you can see, like, he starts to talk and then he just sort of shakes his head and and allows the the duel to continue. All these haters. So you're you're up, Flick. I kept pretty good attention on which one was her. So I'm going to run both hands on my mace and just take a swing. Okay, go for it. That's a solid nine. To hit? Okay, so whether or not you ma- did in fact manage to keep your eye on the correct one, you swing and a miss and you whiff, and all four of the images sort of step back in unison mm-hmm. uh, and away from your mace, and uh, she just lets out a, a low chuckle. And it is her turn, so she begins to sort of circle around you, and the images sort of interweave as she goes, and it becomes very difficult to keep track of any particular one. Okay. She holds up her orb again, 
and chants a couple of quick words, and a black ray jumps from the orb to you. You got hexed. (laughs) And then she takes her mace, and she makes like she's going to swing it at you, but then she sort of chuckles, and she points it at you, and snarls a single word of power, and a uh, sorry, a purple and black beam fires out at you. Mm -hmm. For a 18 to hit. That will hit, yes. So this beam of force... Uh, lances out at you, and you take... Oh, well, you take four force damage and are flung ten feet backwards away from your sister. Great. Flick is going to stay kind of quiet. He, I imagine he's like kind of a quiet but motivated kid. And he's going to get up, and is, are there any other weapons near me? Like, yeah, sure. There can be a weapons rack somewhere near there. So if you want to, if you want to switch it out and, and pick up something different, I would you could do love, that. Sure. Yeah, I would love to grab a javelin. Totally. If it's over there. Yeah, absolutely. And throw it at one of the images. I guess. Sure. So go ahead and roll to hit, mm-hmm. and then I'll roll to see which one you hit. That is a sixteen to hit. Sixteen does hit. So now let's see which one you hit. So you do, in fact, so you fling it, it smacks right in the chest of one of your sisters, and that image of your sister pops and disappears. Great. So now so there's there, three. There are three of, there are three of them now, yep. And she, she sort of nods and says, well, that wasn't completely inept for once, Flick dear. And uh, she once again points her mace at you and another... Uh, beam of energy flings out, and that is a 14 to hit. That will not hit. Barely. Okay, so she sort of snarls angrily, uh, and it's your turn again. I'm going to both hands on my mace. Uh, that's an 18 to hit. All right, so you run up, and you swing that mace, and you connect, but let's see what you connect with. Oops. Uh, you connect with another one of the magic images, so you swing and pop another one. And now she's looking a little she's she's never seen you quite this uh quite this capable in combat he's, before. Yeah, he's a little mad. Uh she she there's a brief flicker of like surprise and not quite nervousness, but flicker. like maybe a little concern. Huh. There's a uh-huh. flicker. Boo. Just for that. She is going to <laughs> so you're right next to her now. She's going to step back from you and away from you. So if you want, you can take an attack of opportunity as she sort of backs up. Um, yeah, I will. Mm, that's not going to hit. Okay. Uh, so she steps back. She blasts. That's a 19 to hit. That will hit, okay. in fact. And so you are flung again 10 feet away from her. Ooh, so that is 15 damage. He is definitely unconscious if it had been... <laughs> Any, if it had been like one more, he's not not dead though, right? No, he's not dead. Okay, all right. Like, and then we have to retcon the entire <laughs> the season entire one. series. <laughs> Before you black out, you hear the ice devil go up to her and sort of hiss angrily. I said weapons only. Still, he let this whole thing happen. <laughs> Still, Abydus will be pleased at how well you're making use of his gifts to you. Your sister says, if I am to remain worthy to stand in my father's presence, I will use the tools he gives me when and how I see fit. And she actually turns on the Ice Devil Lieutenant and unleashes an Eldritch Blast at him. Oh, shit. Oh, and she hits him. 
and she knocks him back a good ten feet, and he sort of stands up and shakes his head and laughs and nods approvingly, and you then at that point lose consciousness. I'm okay. <laughs> but this is a super familiar scene to flick. Like this happens all the time. You know, whether whichever sister mm-hmm. it is that you're fighting, like this kind of stuff happens all the time. So now we're gonna fast forward again a few years. You and your siblings have graduated to from just sparring and staying in that level of hell where you grew up. And you have occasional training missions in the Prime Material Plane, and today is one of those missions. So pretty soon you and the rest of your siblings are going to be plane shifted to Torel, to Faerun, to the Shilmista Forest, uh, where your mission is to seek out and find uh, one of the forest's groups of elvish warriors, and you're to uh, sneak up on them and kill them by whatever means you can. Your sister, your oldest sister, has ordered that you are to arrive at dusk and try to locate the group of elves while they're making camp so that you can ambush them. Sure. Is it has it been explained to Flick why they're doing this, or is it simply just like a just like wreaking havoc just to wreak havoc? Yeah, I mean the lieutenants, the the ice mostly ice devils that send you on these missions, it's all for your training and the fact that there are actual like lives, mortal lives that are gonna be mm-hmm. lost doesn't even it's not that they don't care, it doesn't even register with them. Like sure. those elves that you're gonna kill are just part of the training exercise for you guys. Okay, so um, you guys are plane shifted, which is not the most pleasant of feelings. Uh, sort of a yank in your tummy and then disorientation, a little bit of dizziness. But then there you are uh, in Shilmista, this beautiful forest near the Snowflake Mountains that you can see in the distance. Uh, and it is, you've arrived just at dusk as your sister ordered. And mm-hmm. it's now time for you all to try to find the elves. Do we think that Flick has been here before? Has he been to this plane before of existence? You have been to this plane. You've been to Toril before. I don't think you've been to Shilmista or the Snowflake Mountains before, but you've been, you've had training missions here on Toril, yeah. Okay. I'm thinking specifically like his reaction, like maybe he's just really taken aback by like this specific place, maybe. Like he's just kind of in awe of his surroundings a little bit. Absolutely. Um, he'll play along. Okay. For now. Okay. So you're going to try and help he... find the, find the elves and like track and whatever? Yes. Okay. So give me a survival check then. That is a 21. Oh, yeah. Okay, so let me just see how your siblings did. Um, youngest brother is a little... He's a little ill from the plane shift. This is <laughs> this is his only his second plane shift tutorial, and he is not doing well. He's, yeah, the poor dear didn't stand a chance. Sister number two... Oh, she doesn't do too badly. She got a 17. And older sister... She got a 22. You got a what? 21. Yeah. You and older sister sort of spot the uh, a set of tracks uh, at about the same time and uh, she just a half second before you makes the signal that she's found what you all were looking for so what do you what do you do or say i'm going to say like if it was just like a half second before that we do it almost at the same time yeah um and so i'll just concede say, okay oh you know i'll just without speaking just so nod. she so she says, uh, sort of so that all of you can hear, she says, yes, Flick, I saw it. And then as you all begin to follow the trail, she, under her breath, like, she gets near you, and just quietly enough so that only you can hear her, she says, that's your problem, Flick, dearest. You give in too easily. He'll stay quiet, but he'll... Does she walk away? Uh, she she follows the trail that you guys found. 
and I'll roll my eyes behind her. <laughs> okay, so you guys follow that track, and uh, before too long, you, uh, with that roll, you sort of, you smell a campfire and see a bit of flickering light, and so your oldest sister begins to sort of send you all out into ambush positions. Normally, uh, one of the brothers is paired with one of the sisters, but this time she wants, uh, for whatever reason, she sends you with your little brother. And before... the, two, the two sisters go off together, yeah. Well, before we split up, uh-huh. I want to look at the band of elves. Okay. And look back at them and say, why are we doing this? And uh, the second sister sort of, she looks, they all look a little confused. And the second sister turns and says, because we were ordered to. Do you always take orders? Your little brother sort of gasps. And your oldest sister says, she does if she knows what's good for her. He will quietly roll his eyes again. <laughs> In view of them? No, he'll turn his head. Okay. I mean, he'll like walk away with his brother right. as ordered. Okay. And he will roll his eyes on his way. Okay. Um. <laughs> so we're going to head... I'll sort of like gesture for him to follow me, I guess. Okay. And we will head opposite. Okay. We'll just sort of... Are we going to be flanking the campsite kind of? Yeah, exactly. I would like to... Oh my God, that grin. I, I'm nervous. I want to grab my mace. Okay. And knock out my little brother, hit him in the head. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, do it. I can't That's decide if I want you to crit fail or not. That's a what? 14. Oh yeah. I mean, he doesn't He doesn't do the armor thing. He tried once <laughs> he and like do could that barely stand. Uh, so he's like, he's wearing leather armor, but yeah, that for sure hits. Uh, go ahead and roll damage. He, he's not, he's not, this. he's not a leveled character yet. He's like 12. Anyway, I'm go sorry. ahead. <laughs> no, I just want, I, I want to go with me. I just want to get away from him. No, no, no. It's fine. So it's a one. So it's a one. Okay. He only has like three hit points. But that doesn't knock him out. And he sort of, he freaks out and he turns around. And I think he, for the moment, is like so totally stunned by what happens um, that he's going to get his little, his short sword out and like try and swing at you. But he's so like confused. Yeah. So he gets a nine. Okay. Um, And he starts to, he starts to cry out and yell for his sisters, for your sisters. Uh, It's your Um, turn though. so, So go ahead. Flick is going to drop his mace and run up to his brother and um, restrain him. Okay. And put his hand over his mouth. Okay. So go ahead and make a, an athletics check for me. 16. Okay. Uh, he got a four. So you grab him around the mouth and manage to like cut off his scream. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep hold of him. Okay. Turn or, sort of turn around to see if the elves heard anything. They seem to have heard something, so they're sort of looking in your direction, but none of them have moved yet. Flick will crouch down on the ground with his with his brother, and he'll whisper in his ear, if you tell anyone about this, there'll be hell to pay. Uh-huh. Hell to pay. Get it? Ah. Uh, that's not why I said that, but that's funny. Okay. Um... <laughs> Give me give me an intimidation check, uh, and go ahead and do it with advantage since you have the physical advantage over him at the moment. I crit, bitches. Yes. Okay, so he just, like, wide-eyed nods. So I let go of his mouth. Okay. And I let go of him. Okay. I back away slowly. Yeah. And as stealthily as possible, uh-huh. I just dart. I just dash. Okay, so I need you to make... Two checks for me. The first one is investigation. 
That's a 17. Okay. Uh, so the first thing, before you start trying to sneak off, you remember that all four of you tiefling siblings ha- were given a brooch of your father's sigil and told to wear it at all times. And you have been sort of curious about it and done a few little like experiments on your own. And you have a feeling that that brooch is one of the ways that your father and his lieutenants like keep track of you. So do with that what you will. Now make me a stealth check. Oh, shit. That's a 12. Yeah. So uh, you're quiet-ish. Um, I don't think your sisters hear you because they're on the opposite side of the elf camp, but the elves definitely hear you. Great. I'm just going to keep running as fast as I can. Okay. Fuck the um, stealth. Because um, if, honestly, if this ruins plans for the siblings, like, I don't care. Sure, sure. Um, I'm so against them at this point. And no, I'm just going to keep going. I'm not going to remember the brooch at this moment. Okay. I just want to get away okay. from every from this whole situation. I'm going to run towards... We're in the mountains, correct? You are at, like, essentially at the foothills of the mountains. Cool. So I'm going to run towards the mountains. Okay, great. So you run, and you run. And go ahead and give me a constitution save. That's a 15 adjustment. Okay, so you do pretty well, and you run for quite a while until... Uh, give me a perception check, actually. Not good. Okay, so you, you know, you, they ran towards you, you took off and just sort of lost track of them. And a few minutes of running, well, maybe like five minutes of running later, like you finally like stop and turn to listen and there's no sign of the elves. There's nothing there. Okay. Yeah, very emotional, very dramatic. He's like, um, I think he'll stop, catch his breath. That's when he'll remember the the brooch. Okay. And he'll, I assume it's like just on his sort of like Yeah, it's just like pinned layer. to your lapel, yeah, to your robes or whatever. Um, So I'm going to take it off. Okay. And it's, um, it's metal. It's... Yeah, it's like a little piece of work. It's like, it's nice. Like, it's like, it's probably adamantine. Cool. I'm going to stick it into a tree. Okay. And just say, I'll look at it and say, see you later. And just Ooh. keep on going. Okay. All right. Going into the mountains? Mm-hmm. Where are you headed? Um, he doesn't know. Okay. He is so done with all of that, that like whole, his whole past, he hates everything about it. Okay, great. Make me a survival check and a constitution save. Give me constitution first. A constitution yeah. is a 21. Holy shit. Okay. And the uh, the survival? <laughs> uh, seven. Okay. So do another set, but now it's the third day and you've just been sort of wandering in circles. So do your constitution with disadvantage. Okay. This is the constitution. Okay. That is, that's a seven as well. Okay. And the survival. Crit. Okay, so you have a level exhaustion. It's rough. You're sort of running low on food supplies. It's not like you brought a ton. You were supposed to do this mission and go home. I didn't didn't really have anything. Um, So you're really getting exhausted. But you manage to find what looks like a a sort of path that leads higher up into the mountains. So at least now you have a direction that you can go, some sort of civilization or something. It looks like more than animal track. Same thing, constitution with disadvantage and survival. That's an 11. Okay, that's not going to cut it. And the survival... A 21. Okay. So you manage to uh, sort of, you find enough food to keep you going and you keep your eye on this track, uh, but you have now a second level of exhaustion. First level is, ah, disadvantage on ability check. Second level is your speed is halved. So the going is really, really tough now. Yeah. Um, Okay. Next day, con save, disadvantage and survival. That is a crit fail, ladies and gentlemen. 
Okay, so that's going to be two levels of exhaustion. Uh it on. Oh, yeah. So you're at four now. Go ahead and give me your survival. That's an eight. Okay, so you sort of, you lose the track. Um, you've been headed up, and you could sort of see that it looked like, a, like yesterday, it looked like the road sort of continued up and went to what looked like a flat area a ways up in the mountains, but now you sort of lost the track. You just know that you need to keep going up. You've got four levels of exhaustion, so you've added disadvantage on attacks and saves, and your hit point maximum is halved. Um, go ahead and make me another uh, constitution save and survival check. The con save is a 12. <laughs> well, two days ago, that would have been enough. I know, it would have been great. <laughs> well, that's a four. Okay. So, so uh, you have just one more level of exhaustion, which is good, because six levels is death. Uh, fifth level, though, is your speed is reduced to zero. So you are completely helpless. You cannot move. You cannot take care of yourself. Okay. And that night, you sort of... You know, you create a tiny little fire and you gnaw on some like some rocks, weird weed. <laughs> yeah, and you I sort of there's go like snow, some snow, like we're up high. Oh maybe. yeah, yeah, for sure. So you sort of go to sleep that night, assuming that it will be your last. Yeah, but hey, at least you got away from the siblings and hell. His well, and the thing is, like he he just knows that he's supposed to be as far away from them as possible. Right. He he doesn't care. He cares that he's you know, starving, but right. he cares more about getting away from them. And Sure. So you fall asleep that night and don't expect to wake up. Uh, and in fact, you don't wake up for several days. When you do finally wake up, though, you regain consciousness. And before you open your eyes, you can feel that you are not lying on stone. You are not outside in the snow. You are not in your armor. And as you open your eyes, you see that you are in a small chamber on a pretty simple bed wearing just light robes and sort of tucked in. There's a candle on the, uh, on the table next to the bed. And in the corner is a, uh, a human man wearing robes uh, sort of dozing. Um, he will slowly sort of get up and he'll sort of like groan and grunt and sort of like sort of stretch. And, oh yes, that is a 19 and a 20, so that dude wakes up, and he sort of uh, nods at you and smiles and sort of gives you like a one finger hold on, and he leaves the room. And a few minutes later, three other humans come in. Two of them sort of come over to you and like begin to examine you, and the third uh, says, I'm so glad that you have returned to us. Welcome to Spirit Soaring. Your face is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> He'll say, where now? So this guy explains to you that you are at Spirit Soaring, which is a cathedral uh, built by Catterley Bonaduce to honor the god Denier, the scribe of Agma, the light of creation and artistry. He says that they found you not far from the steps of the cathedral, uh, frozen, half dead. They brought you in. Uh, you are welcome for as long as it takes for you to convalesce and to regain your strength. And so that's sort of how you spend the next 10 days or so. Like you were in a bad way, 10 to, maybe mm-hmm. even, maybe even two 10 days. And the whole time this guy who came in, who you later find out is, um, the high priest of Denier here at Spirit Soaring, uh, he just sort of takes a little bit of time each day to tell you a little bit about Denier. Um, and how do you take to that? 
at first I have sort of no choice but to listen. Sure. Um, he's pretty, but he, judging by the sort of accepting nature of this this place and the people around him, he is very willing to listen. He's very comforted by the teachings. Totally. Sure. It gives you sort of a, finally, like a sense of something you can Definitely. hang on to. Okay, great. The 10 days pass and you're recovered. And uh, one day this, the high priest sort of tells you, we have nothing more to offer you in terms of recovery. You're, of course, you always have been, but now we send you off uh, with our blessing. I want to stay. <laughs> he is not surprised at all. And he, in fact, sort of uh, goes outside and comes back in. And uh, with him, he holds in his hands uh, the robes of an initiate of Denier. And he doesn't say anything. He just sort of lifts his eyebrows and sort of holds them out to you. Flick's eyes light Aw, so cute. He's so, oh yeah, he's so happy. Oh my God. Um, okay. I'm like living, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> yes, he will, he will accept the okay. position. So um, you start off as a, you know, a lowly initiate, uh, but you, you train and you learn uh, and you grow pretty quickly up here. Like you said, like this is for the first time you're getting lessons that you feel like you can hold on to and that you want to learn. So you, you do very well. Your martial skills were already pretty advanced. Equally rapid are your advancers, uh, are your advances in understanding Denier and his Tome of Universal Harmony, which is like his Bible. Within your first year, um, you were granted basic divine spells. Yes. Um, your tutors commented at one point or another that, like, they haven't seen anyone strengthened in the faith this quickly since Catterley Bonaduce himself. On that vein, one night, not too long after you were granted your first divine zero-level spells, uh, you are visited <laughs> by a servant of Denier, a celestial, an angel, who calls himself Gavrail. Uh, he visits you in the night, he appears in your room, and he informs you that you have been chosen by Denier for a divine destiny. He refuses to say more at the time, but he importunes you to continue your studies and promises you that all will be revealed when the time is right, but you are on the proper path. The choices you have made have led you here. I knew it. <laughs> Uh, so more time passes, your training continues, um, but your training now has a new element because Gavrail s continues to visit you, though not usually in person. He actually tends to visit you in your dreams. And in these dreams, he begins to teach you the parts of an extremely complicated ritual, a ritual of Denier that is really far beyond your abilities. But he he's a patient teacher and he sort of teaches you uh, piece by piece at first, it seems like a pretty standard, straightforward consecration ritual, um, which is is powerful, uh, but not particularly, you know, unusual. Uh, I was basically, about to say, that doesn't... right? Basically, it would hallow an area in Denier's name. Um, but as you continue to learn more pieces of the ceremony, it becomes clear to you that this ritual actually is going to accomplish a lot more than that if it's properly executed. The process would not only hallow an area in Denier's name, it would actually, and this is the part that is, that when you realize this, it's really startling. What this ritual would actually do is draw a part of Denier's power down onto this place and actually bind it there, uh, anchoring him to this place that you're consecrating, which uh, would allow him to sort of be ever present in that particular location, in that area, and, and, and do divine works. But um, what doesn't make sense to you is why Denier would need 
this ritual when, as a god of Faerun, he can choose to be anywhere he likes and work anywhere, whatever, yeah. right, and do whatever mm-hmm. he wants. This work continues for months, um, and you dutifully memorize these incantations, the placement of the ritual components, the mystic gestures, blah, blah, blah. And you practice them until Gavriel is finally satisfied that you can perform the ritual on your own flawlessly without any assistance or input from him. And after that session, where you are able to start to finish do this ritual in your dreams, of course, you're not actually performing the ritual. Right. Your visits from Gavriel stop and months pass uh, without him coming to you. And, you know, you continue your studies and you continue to deepen your faith in Denier and, and that's all fine, but you begin to wonder whether or not any sort of explanation is going to ever be I was, forthcoming. I was about to say, he's going to, he's going to wonder, like, was that all in vain? Like, why did it, why did right, it or, happen? Right, or, or since most of it was in your dreams, like, was it even real? Yeah, exactly. At some point. And then one night, you receive a message from Gavrail. It's not a full vision, but as you sleep, you hear his voice clearly. Flick, the time has come to embark upon your great quest and begin the fulfillment of your destiny. And then the image of a windswept cliff deep in the Snowflake Mountains comes to you. And he continues and says... In ten days, you will find me and your companions, your fellows in this destiny, at this place. Prepare for a long journey to a wild land, a journey that you may not return from for years, if ever. I will explain more when you arrive. Mind is blown. Mind blown. I'm not going to tell anyone about this. I think he's going to go about business as normal. Okay. And sort of prepare himself quietly and privately. Okay. Like, you know, start packing and preparing and start saying, like, secret goodbyes. Like, think, like, Michael Scott. Yep. Like, at the office. Like, he's, he's, you know. And it'll probably take you about two days to get to this spot. Yeah. He'll wake up one day. Okay. And grab his things Mm -hmm. and go down and, and eat one last meal, I suppose. Yeah. And if anyone asks... You know what he's up to or where he's going. He's traveling to um, Caradune to purchase supplies. Sure, something really simple and mundane. Okay. And so with that, you leave Spirit Soaring, head into the mountains. Uh, snowflakes are pretty notorious for treacherous weather and dangerous beasts, so the going is rough. But um, your magic, the blessings of Denier, uh, see you safely to this cliff face at the appointed time. And as fate or perhaps destiny would have it, you arrive at the exact same moment as three women, one tall wearing a mask, one very sort of simple and nondescript, and one short And the four of you step out warily into an open space near the cliff's edge. And before any of you can speak, Gavrail appears. And we're going to stop there for this little (gasps) mini-sode. And the adventures we're going to have. (laughs) You know you love my ladder hangers. Oh, Um, yeah. Thank you, Flick, for kicking off the character episodes. No problem. All right. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Before we go into Bria's, I want to take a quick moment to give a shout out to an awesome group of podcasters. This group has uh, gotten together and joined forces with The Last Refuge to promote our shows uh, for each other. So we're going to be featuring uh, some brief promos from each of them in the coming weeks. And if you have an empty spot on your podcast playlist, go check them out. So here's a few words from one of that group, The Spellcast. An ancient terror slumbers in its chains. All of Faerun is coiled in scaly peril. 
The Spellcast D&D Podcast brings five heroes together to reclaim a long dormant power. The mantle of the Sentinels awaits. So take up arms and join us as we welcome you to the Spellcast. Tired of everyday life? Dream of a life of exciting adventure? Want to get away for a while? We offer you The Last Refuge. The Last Refuge, designed for you in an open world for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to the small lakefront town of Caradoon, just outside the Snowflake Mountains. There's absolutely nothing remarkable about this town. The town surrounds the lake and is right up against the Snowflake Mountains. Bells chime on the hour. As the bells ring, we bring you again, due to hundreds of requests, What Bria Remembers. Starring your friendly neighborhood dungeon master, DM Jazzy Hands, as the announcer, Anne Gavrail. Bizdira as Glar, Wench, and girl number three. Kit as Sayir and Alina. Bria as Bria. And Flick. As Erban and the 1920s announcer! Picture this place. A well-to-do boarding school built in an ancient wizard's tower. Tapestries cover the cool brick walls. Human and elvish teenagers chatter loudly as they climb the circular stairs to various classrooms and halls. As you walk down a hallway, you pass room after room of finishing school activities. A human girl plays a harp. Several students furiously draw with uneven pencil strokes. And you hear the clatter of china as you pass the dining halls that smell of cinnamon and freshly baked bread. As the sun begins to set, candles and fireplaces are lit throughout the building, and you must wrap yourself in a robe or shawl to keep warm. The mountain winds seep under the doorways and through old window panes, making you grateful for the fire nearby. The students and staff are content, happy even. This is no ordinary school. The students regard it as more a home than where their aristocratic parents take up residence. But as dining begins, and the whole building seems to relax for the evening, we see a young girl upstairs furiously studying. She is perfectly ordinary in every way, with straight brown locks of hair and lighter brown eyes. Tall for her age, and clothing that is noticeably... less well-made than her counterparts at this school. We rarely see her without a green hood shadowing her face, and there's something about her that's simply... different. Her otherness is only made worse by the fact that no one could explain how she came to be admitted to the school much less who was paying her way there. My memories of my hometown were few, you see. I had lived in this tower for over a decade. I hardly remembered the shape of my mother's face anymore. It was a distant memory. I knew nothing of my father and felt completely alone in the world, finding trouble making friends. On this particular evening, I'd thrown myself more into my work than usual. You must understand, 
I never knew my benefactor, and though I dreamed of him as my father, who was a king or an adventurer, depending on my mood that day, I felt the deep need to attain perfection to not let this mysterious man down. My bunkmate, Alenia, a beautiful elven girl with a slight frame who was constantly chattering, had just returned from dinner. You really should join us more often for dinner, Briathos, she said to me. I was speaking with Madame Chandrail, as you know I'm wont to do. We simply have the most marvelous chats, her and I do. Anyway, I was speaking with Madame Chandrail, and we agreed that the thing that you lack most is etiquette skills. Now, I know, darling, that this is difficult for you and that you don't have the prospects that the rest of us ladies have, but that doesn't mean that you should give up on refinery. You can be better than your mother. Just because she had a child out of wedlock does not mean that you are destined for the same fate. On that topic, darling, you really should stop telling everyone that you haven't met your father. It's simply ghastly and doesn't do you any favors. If my mother had done the same, well, (laughs) of course, she wouldn't have, would she? Alenia, darling, won't you come down for a game of cards before you rest for the evening? Oh, yes, darling. Of course, darling, Briathos, please, think about what I've said. You know I only want the best for you. My blood boiled as she spoke. How dare she? How dare she? I was through, and I would have no more of her. Insult me all you want but my mother was not a target for insults. She had done the best that she could. I needed retribution. Then the thought came to me. Yes, of course. I reached behind my bed where, taped carefully, was a set of beautiful daggers, my most prized possession, bestowed upon me by my mother, the only thing my father left behind. Though I knew not how to properly use them, I knew what I must do. She would pay for what she had done. I followed her at a distance, down, down, down the stairs, until she entered the library where the cards were being dealt. I hesitated at the doorway. What if one of the other girls noticed? How could they not? I steeled myself and moved. I raced past the doorway, hoping no one had noticed me. It appeared they had not. I was safe. I would be able to reach the stables where I could destroy her prized gold-threaded riding equipment. I crunched my way through the old black snow, shivering slightly from excitement or cold. I knew not which. As I opened the large wooden door, I told you, didn't I? Look at this loot! It's a fine start, Glar. You've done well. Young voices. Male voices. As I heard the jangle of the riding equipment being lifted, I took a quick peek around the corner. Ten boys, all in all. Maybe one that had more years on him than I. They joked and clapped each other on the back, but kept their voices down as they went about their work. They were collecting the finest riding equipment, carefully tucking smaller pieces into the bags on their shoulders. The largest equipment was passed to the eldest boy, who put it all into a small bag where it mysteriously not only fit, but continued to store more and more saddles and harnesses. It took them three minutes at most. 
I stood in rapt attention, watching their quick movements and their fun. That's it, lads. We've done enough for tonight. Seir will be pleased, and these rich lords and ladies will simply have their lofty fathers purchase more. (laughs) (laughs) They followed him out to the other side of the barn. I hesitated, but only slightly. Then I threw my cape over my hair and began to follow the boys into the fine mist that builds nightly around the tower. The bells began to chime. It was a time I was meant to be retired to my room for the evening, according to the strictures of the boarding school. For the first time in my young life, caution was thrown to the wind. I continued to follow the path into town. As we began on the two-mile journey, I caught bits of their conversation. The first voice I heard was the youngest and by far the smallest of the crew. He couldn't have been more than seven years past his name day. His name was Glar, and he had the most rambunctious energy I'd ever seen. He jumped and kicked in the snow mounds, thrilled to be with the older boys. Compared to the reserved energy of all of my classmates, I adored him immediately. The eldest was named Erbun. Although small in stature, he was strong and kind to all of his cohorts. They spoke frequently of a woman named Seir and of the three rabbits. I thought perhaps that's what they'd have for dinner, until we arrived. The building was nothing special. In fact, it was perfectly inconspicuous. A plain wooden building with a plain wooden door and three rabbits branded into its side. They entered. I waited. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven... Eight, nine, ten. Then I cracked open the door. There were more of them than I could have imagined. Kids, men, women, fifty at least. The room was inviting and cozy in a way that only an entrance hall of an inn could be. Rugs in hundreds of colors covered the ground. There was a bar completely surrounded by people and a glorious roaring fire. Someone crooned to the group in the distance. The boys tossed their bags into the center of the room and reclined on the overstuffed chairs. As I took it all in, I suddenly felt a sharp jolt in my back. At the same time, my mouth was being covered and I heard a voice in my ear. You move when I tell you to move, understood? I nodded in agreement. Inside, let's go! I was thrust into the room. Ladies and gentlemen... It looks like we've gained ourselves an admirer. The entire room lost its celebratory feeling and fell into a deep silence. All eyes turned to a woman sitting in front of the fire, and she was staring right at me. This must be Sayer. Then the room exploded with noise. Ah, kill her and be done with it. She knows where we are. We can't possibly set her free. Ain't got much meat on her body. Wouldn't hardly feed any of us for dinner. (laughs) Then she spoke. Hush. Who are you? 
My name is Briathos. I'm from the boarding school in the old wizard's tower, and I, I meant no harm. She saw us stealing then. Glar, learn to hold your tongue. Why are you here? I lost my composure. I was frustrated. My roommate is terrible. She said things about my mother which shouldn't be said about anyone. I was headed to the barn to destroy her equipment and then saw the boys and I couldn't help but follow them. I never meant to come inside. I never- Erebon, you should have noticed her following you. Is that not part of your training? The person holding the dagger to my back spoke. Well, I, I caught her, didn't I? Briathos, what attracted you here? The fun. Let her go. The dagger was released and the sound resumed. And Sayer called me over to the fire. Welcome to the Three Rabbits. It is our humble home and also serves as a training center for the rogues and thieves in our guild. We call ourselves the Silent Dominion. Most of us were raised here, not ever knowing our parents. I flinched slightly. I see you may know something about that. As you can see, we may not always agree, but we're family. We take care of our own. We lead humble lives but need to provide for ourselves somehow. Taking trinkets from the rich provides us with a comfortable life, and we're quite good at it. You wouldn't even notice that it had been done until it was. As she says this, she's handed daggers by a woman in a red coat. The woman winks at me, and I look back at the daggers. My daggers. Sayer smiled, holds out my daggers to me, and continued with words I will never forget. I think you may be of use to us, Briathos. My hair stood on end, and goose pimples covered my body. We've been looking into your school for some time. There doesn't seem to be any security there, but there is more wealth in any single room of that tower than in this entire town combined. What I would ask of you is simple. Leave a few doors and windows unlocked when we request it so we can gain entry. In return, you may join our family. Eat with us, drink with us, have a place where you are accepted. Is that something you want, Briathos? Call me Bria. Which door first? I can draw you a map. And so began Briathos's journey with the Silent Dominion. She would visit them weekly, skipping out past curfew to join them until the early hours of the morning. Each week, they would concoct a new plan based on Briathos's suggestions were simple plans, stealing a piece of fine jewelry here, some silverware there, Briathos finally beginning to feel that she was accepted, and more importantly, that she was wanted. But as winter turned to spring... and spring to summer... As the members of the Silent Dominion collected food and stole trinkets... I saw my classmates slowly become more panicked. The students began to blame one another, breaking into each other's rooms and emptying their contents, shaking out bedding trying to find their lost things. Alenia and several of her friends left the school entirely. I am not a mean-spirited human. My name means thwarts demons. As I watched my classmates fall into despair, I began to realize that perhaps one of the demons that I needed to thwart was my own. I had made my decision. I should sever ties with the Silent Dominion. As I walked down the familiar paths, I became more resolved, and even angry with myself for my involvement. I would come clean to Alenia, I would fix the problems that I had created for myself and those around me. 
How could I have been so stupid? I said aloud in my frustration. It was not stupidity, but destiny that brought you here. I started. After spending so much time with rogues, how could I not have noticed a man following me? Stupid, stupid, stupid. I turned around, and there before me was my father. Are you tired of the same old musical instruments? Looking for more freedom of choice? It is with greatest pride that we announce our new line of sterling silver musical dining spoons. That's right, ladies and gents, musical dining spoons. Now, spoons aren't just for dinner anymore, no sir. Musical dining spoons also double as an instrument. So as soon as you finish your dessert, you can begin a lively evening of song and dance. At only one silver per set, some may say it's a steal. Get your spoon soon, so you don't miss out. How could I have been so stupid? I said aloud in my frustration. It was not stupidity, but destiny that brought you here. I started. After spending so much time with rogues, how could I not have noticed a man following me? Stupid, stupid, stupid. I turned around, and there before me was my father. I can't tell you how I knew. It was instant, primal even. He was tall, over six feet, and otherworldly. He was covered in a glowing bright light, his long hair flowing in a breeze that did not exist. He was floating, hovering just above the ground. And after all those years not knowing this man, a great anger came over me, greater than any I'd known. I yelled at him, uncaring of being overheard. Where were you? This whole time you've known where to find me and you didn't care to? What about my mother? What about me? Did you ever once stop to think about us? About- I had to be absent from your life until your talents revealed themselves naturally. You see, you have been chosen by the god Denir for a divine destiny. I can say no more without unspooling carefully laid plans, but I must implore you, Briathos. Continue to excel at your studies, both in school and with the silent dominion. All will be revealed when the time is right. And in an instant, he was gone. I was once again alone in the alleyway. The new, clean snow piled on the ground. I continued to the guild immediately. A clarity and calm came over me. My mind was made up and my purpose was clear. I did not hesitate when I opened the door to the three rabbits. The room was empty. Sayer was standing there as though waiting for me. Briathos. Teach me how to use my daggers. Bria remained with the guild, 
and continue to excel she did. She worked relentlessly through the night, training with Seir, with Erbun, with anyone who would train her. She practiced sneaking around the tower at night, unlocking doors into private rooms just to test her skills. As summer and fall once again melted away, Bria became much more than just a tool used to get at the school's wealth. Bria was a favorite of Seir, almost like a daughter to her. Meanwhile, Bria was visited semi-regularly by Gavrail, though never again in person, always in her dreams. You must be precise, Briathos. Even a tiny measurement off and the map becomes useless. But it allows for more flourishes, which adds to its beauty. Your purpose is not to capture beauty but to capture an accurate representation of the landscape around you. You see, he began to teach her the art of cartography. He would take her, in her dreams of course, to different points in the Snowflake Mountains or the Shilmista Forest and tell her to create a map of the area without moving from that location. It seemed like an odd skill to learn as there were few places in Faerun that weren't already mapped and my school had access to quite a collection of these maps. Still, I practiced for hours on end. I must have created dozens, if not hundreds, of these maps until Gavriel was satisfied that I could create them as close to flawlessly as possible. He even showed signs of paternal pride. With both a mother and father figure in my life for the first time, I began to thrive. But as soon as I began to feel fully confident in my skills, my visits from Gavriel slowed and then ultimately stopped completely. Several months passed without a single word from Gavriel. I had no way of contacting him. Just when I began to wonder whether or not I would ever see my father again, I received a message. I heard his voice clearly one night. Briathos, the time has come to embark upon your great quest and begin the fulfillment of your destiny. The image of a wind-swept cliff deep in the Snowflake Mountains came to me then. I knew from my maps exactly where to find it. In ten days, you will find me and your companions, your fellows in this destiny, at this place. Prepare for a long journey to a wild land, a journey that you may not return from for years, if ever. I will explain more when you arrive. What else could she do but as Gavrail instructed? I gathered my belongings without a single thought. I scribbled a short note on a piece of parchment, addressed it, and then took one last walk to the three rabbits. I slipped it under the door, traced one of the rabbit carvings with my finger, and then turned without looking back. It was a simple note for Seir. Thank you, B. The going was rough, the Snowflake Mountains being notorious for treacherous weather and dangerous beasts. As she climbed the face of the mountain, feet slipping on the ice, she's bombarded by a terror of sturges. Though she walks away with quite a bit less confidence, and blood, her feet steady as she continues to climb to her goal. She camps in hollow caves by night, huddled by a small fire to keep herself warm, until a brown bear is attracted to the flame.
She decides that daggers are an excellent weapon for carving up brown bear hide, and her adventures continue. All in all, her skills in stealth and sword see Briathos safely to her goal. As fate, or perhaps destiny, would have it, she reaches the crest of the hill just as two women, one hardly five feet tall and the other tall and wearing a mask, and a male tiefling with crimson skin, reach the crest of the hill at the three other corners. All four step out warily onto an open space near the cliff's edge. Before any of them can speak, Gavrail appears. And that is where our story ends for this week. Who are these mysterious strangers? Why the training in maps and with the guild? And what does Gavrail have in store for Briathos? Tune in next week to find out. Thanks so much for listening to this week's character minisodes. I want to say a huge thank you in particular to Alex and Taryn, Flick and Bria for putting together these awesome stories for their characters. I hope all of you had as much fun listening as I did editing them together and getting this ready to put out to you guys today. Be sure to listen next week to find out more about Kit and Bizdira's pasts in even more new and fun formats. If you did enjoy your listening experience, it would be incredible if you could leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you download your podcasts from. The more five-star ratings and reviews we get, the better our placement on those sites, and the better our placement, the more people will get to listen. And right now, since we're in between seasons, it's a great time for you to let us know what you think. In fact, here is a five-star review that we got from Finkel101. It says, Made a marathoner out of me. The DM and his crew have built a wonderful world in this podcast. Oh, thanks, Finkel. Uh, I have never played D&D before, but this method of storytelling really works for me. The combination of compelling story and funny player antics is a real pleasure to listen to. Only one question remains. What makes DM's hands so jazzy? That is an excellent question, Finkel, and maybe, maybe, sometime in season two you'll find out. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at at DNDLastRefuge. That's at D, the letter N, D, Last Refuge. Or you can email us at DNDLastRefuge at gmail.com. We also have a website with character and player bios and other cool stuff. That address is www.DNDLastRefuge.com. As always, I want to thank Robert Hub, my story consultant for this campaign, and of course, all of you for listening. I am your friendly neighborhood dungeon master, DM Jazzy Hands, and with me I have... Vizdera, Kit, Bria, and Flick. Happy gaming, y'all.